welcome to So What Do You Think, a podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you our completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jay and with me here is B. Hi. And B is sitting here eating cheese from, well, actually, just let me just tell you, she's eating an entire block of cheese. I'm not eating an entire block of cheese. I'm eating cheese from an entire block. It's like. <laughs> it's half like, a block, actually. She's just like got a knife and she's just like slicing pieces off and eating it straight off. It's approximately half a kilo of cheese because it was a one kilo block. Well, I'm sure that your uh, arteries are enjoying this quite Well, a lot. I just walked in the door from work, so <laughs> I'm just snacking on hey, some cheese. Hey, hey, no judgment here. Go for it. I love cheese. It's pretty good cheese. <laughs> WA family owned, Brunswick oh, Dairy. Well, that's all right then. That's yeah, good right. cheese. It's good cheese. Yeah, yeah. All right, so tonight, what are we talking about? We're going to tackle a, a big case, actually, a case that many people may already know about. Uh, it's one of those cases that's divided the internet, and it's also a case that was tackled by Bob Ruff on the Truth and Justice podcast. So if you want the in-depth, and as always, he is always very in-depth, go check that out. So it's a case where someone is in prison already for the murder, but it's the question of whether or not they should be. And it's quite a big question in this case. So tonight we're heading to Texas in, two th- oh, sorry, in 2012, where we have the murder of Jamie Melgar. Now, Jamie, or Jim as he's referred to, wife Sandy was aged 52 at the time. They were empty nesters and were enjoying their 32nd wedding anniversary on the night of December 22nd to 2012. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why I just thought when you said 30 second, I thought you meant 30 seconds. So 30 seconds wedding anniversary. I was like, that's a quick <laughs> wedding. I wonder what the gift is for that wedding anniversary. What? <laughs> I don't even know why I thought that. What the hell? Entirely too much cheese going on over there. They reckon that if you eat cheese before you go to bed, you have nightmares and you can talk and walk in your sleep. So I've eaten plenty of cheese before I've gone to bed and I don't really think. Well, not that you know of. No, that's true. <laughs> All right. So Jim and Sandy. Now they had been high school sweethearts and married a couple of years out of school. They had a daughter, Liz, who was 22 at the time of the murder. Jim was an IT guy and Sandy was a nurse and they were reasonably well-to-do. They were also Jehovah's Witnesses, but not like your insanely, ridiculously strict ones. Sandy had quite a few medical conditions. She had epilepsy, hypothyroidism and lupus and had undergone bilateral hip replacements so she was you know she was not in her best way she was she had a few things going on now her epilepsy was quite bad and she would have seizures that really knocked her about once she'd actually been in a wheelchair for about six weeks after one um, when one entire side of her body had been paralyzed jim was very attentive to sandy and at times well essentially needed to be her carer um, so they were a very close couple. Jim was in pretty good health, though. He, he kept fit and healthy. So it's December 2012 and the anniversary. They'd gone out for dinner at a Mexican restaurant and then they popped into a liquor store on the way home to grab some drinks to continue on at home. Once they were home, they jumped into their jacuzzi and got some drinks together 
And then they settled in and sat in the spa for a couple of hours. And at that time, I've no doubt we're doing things that you do when you're in the spa with your partner, drinking alcohol. So this is the account of the rest of the night, according to Sandy. Now, at one point, their four dogs just started going bonkers in the backyard. They started barking, carrying on, and they were like, to the point where it was like, okay, something's, something's happening. Someone might be in the yard. Better go check it out. So Jim gets out of the bath, tells Sandra, look, you stay here. I'll just go see what's going on. I'll be back in a minute. After a couple of minutes, Jim is still not back, though, and Sandy thinks, well, I've probably had long enough in the bath by now, so she decides to get out. She heads to her closet, which has a chair that you can kind of sit on. Now, I think that from, from what I can gather, this was like a bit of a walk, like a, a small walk-in robe that was coming off the bathroom. There was another walk-in robe in the bedroom. So this was kind of her little room that she would go, go into, uh, had a little chair that she could sit down on, and she does so, and she starts putting moisturizer on her legs. She remembers nothing after this. So she just completely blacks out. The next day... There was a family get-together planned. Jim's brother, Herman, and his family arrived first at 4.30 p.m. So remember, this is around the middle of the night that all this stuff's happened with the spa and Sandy and everything. So we're, we're a whole lot later when the family knock on the door. They knock on the door. There's no answer. They notice that the garage door is open, so they decide to see if they can get into the house. And lo and behold, the door to the house inside is actually open, so they are able to get inside. So they go inside, they call out, nothing. They can't hear anyone. They decide to walk around a bit and eventually hear Sandy calling out for help. They follow her, her cries into the bathroom where they find the walk-in closet door closed with a chair up against it on the outside. Herman removes the chair and opens the door and sees Sandy on the floor with her legs and arms tied up. Now Herman just like sort of jumps into action and he's like, I've got to untie her. So he goes down there, tries to untie her restraints, but they're really, really tight. So he needs to get some scissors to cut them instead. Now, while that's all happening, people are getting scissors. They're trying to free her. She's really dazed and woozy, of course, but instantly she's just like, where's Jim? Where is he? Like, what happened to him? And it doesn't take them long to find him in the bedroom walk-in closet about 10 metres away from the bathroom. They find him and he has been beaten and stabbed to death. He lay naked on the closet floor, his, neck, his legs tied with a telephone cord and rope loose, loosely around his chest. Jim had been stabbed more than 50 times. His face and head had been beaten so severely that he had fractures to his skull and facial bones and he had injuries to his brain. Now, the drawers in the bedroom were open, the jewellery had been rifled through, wallets and purses were emptied. There was also a white blouse and a kitchen knife that were found in the jacuzzi, which still had water in it. So, taking in all of this scene, what are your first thoughts here? I'm eating cheese. You're eating cheese? Okay, stop eating cheese. Um, no, I don't... I don't know. I don't have any thoughts just yet because I don't know. Well, what, what does it sound like has happened? Well, some sort of intruder. Mm -hmm. Did she, like, maybe the wife got hit on the back of the head? That's why mm -hmm. she can't remember anything. Mm -hmm. So she just got, like, knocked out and tied up. Yep. Sounds pretty plausible. Like hiding in, someone was hiding in the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, to me it's like... 
if that's all I knew, what I've just told you, I'd be like, well, it's a home invasion, right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. Jim heard the dogs going off. He went down to check check it out, and he bumped into the intruders. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, it sounds pretty. So the dogs were going. So she was already upstairs. Yeah. So um, she was in the bathroom. I'm not sure whether it was a two story house or not, but she was in the bathroom. He went to check out why the dogs were barking. Um, and then somehow ended up in the wardrobe in the bedroom, dead. Okay. In the meantime, she is unconscious and tied up and locked in the room. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like someone came in and someone attacked them, right? Yeah. Inside the closet that Jamie uh, that Jim was found in was the safe. So it's not a huge jump to think that they brought him there to open it. And when he didn't, they killed him, right? Mm. So as for Sandy, maybe she didn't know... Maybe they didn't know she was there until they heard her moving around in the bathroom perhaps and then, you know, they're like, oh, shit, there's someone else here that we've got to deal with now. Um, This whole hypothesis, though, was not so obvious to the police because it is Sandy who has been behind bars for this murder for the last five years. Okay. Thoughts on that? Nah. I mean, I don't, obviously, I don't know enough of their story, but... I wouldn't have like just straight up gone. Oh yeah, it was Sandy. Yeah, that's it. Even that she like, was tied up, and she was tied up so bad, like tightly, that they had to get scissors. Mm. Like, how did she tie herself up? Yeah, right. And, and put the chair against the door. Yeah, exactly. So, like, when I first heard about this case, I'm like, all right, like I am with every case. Like, okay, convince me. Tell me what the prosecution case was. Tell me what evidence she had. Probably, you know, I might change my mind. Happens a lot of times. So so looking at her story, her story is that she must have been hit on the head. She must have had a seizure of some sort, which she was known to have, um, because she remembers nothing really. And she woke up feeling like she had had a seizure. So I've never had a seizure. Um, I have talked to a lot of people that have, though, and it apparently you feel like very sore because all your muscles contract. Um, and you feel very tired and woozy and confused and kind of foggy. And that's what she was saying she felt like. So she felt like she had had a seizure. At a later date, when her memory started to sort of come back a little bit, she vaguely recalled seeing a strange woman in the house looking at her in the closet, but it was really fuzzy. So she wasn't really 100% sure that's what she saw, but she kind of just had this sort of semi-memory of that. So let's have a look at the prosecution's case. Now, Immediately, there was suspicion on Sandy because the police felt that it would be impossible for her to have not heard her husband being attacked. So, of course, the bedroom was next to the bathroom, close enough to hear a commotion, absolutely, for sure. But I have a few questions here. First of all, were the jacuzzi jets on? They can be quite loud. I have a jacuzzi spa, and when the jets are on, you can't hear anything that's going on outside of there. You know, at least for the bit where he was being brought into the room anyway, because it seems as though she kind of got out of the bath and went straight into the wardrobe and that's when she passed out. So you would have to assume that he was in the bedroom already at that stage. Also, who's to say he was murdered before she was attacked? You know, it's is it not possible that they brought him into the closet, tried to get him to open the safe all while she was still in the jacuzzi? You know, that could have all happened for sure. You know, and then the quieter things like tying him up were happening once she was out, maybe. Hey, maybe she, you know, she did hear something and was like, you were right in there. You know, like it's not going to instantly, you're not going to instantly go to, oh, my God, my husband's being murdered just because you hear something. 
you know, you you might think, oh, he's dropped something or he's tripped over or something like that if you heard a commotion. So maybe maybe she did sort of hear something and she just didn't really realise what she was hearing. I can see a scenario where they're in the middle of tying him up when when they realise that she's in there because they hear her either turn off the spa or get out of the bath or whatever, and then, you know, he jumps up because he thinks, oh, my God, until now they didn't know that she was in there and now I've got to protect my wife, you know. Um, and, and also they're distracted. They're having a look at who else is in the house sort of thing. So maybe while they were distracted, he jumps up. He tries to get away from him because, remember, there was a rope around him that wasn't really tied up. So maybe they were halfway through doing it and that's why he's not really tied up when he was found. Also, guess what is in the closet right near where he was found dead? His gun hidden away on a shelf, not in sight, but he would have known where it was. He never made it to the gun, though, but it's possible that he was sort of launching towards the gun. So what are your thoughts about all of that, Um, you know, about the whole she must have heard something theory? Not if she was knocked out or she had had a seizure. Yeah, I guess the police sort of say, well, she must have heard something while she was, you know, before she had the seizure. Not necessarily. No, that's it. I mean, I can sort of think of a million ways how if they had him and there was like a sort of a um, a chair next to the bed that it looks like he'd been sitting on because there was blood on it. So mm. maybe they were trying to, trying to tie him to the chair. They've heard her moving around in the bathroom and they've like been like, everyone shut up, you know? Yeah. So I don't know whether or not, I mean, it's certainly enough for the police to go, okay, let's have a look at Sandy. Because, you know, when people get murdered, quite often it's their spouse. Mm. But I don't know. I feel like they just got tunnel vision here, which is, you know, a key theme in all of our cases. Mm -hmm. So the next prosecution point was that there was no sign of forced entry. That's interesting because Herman found that garage door open and the door to the house unlocked. So, I mean, I can't account for why the garage door was, you know, was it accidentally left open? I mean, I know with my garage door, occasionally if you've got something that's like underneath where it lands it's kind of got like a um a safety function in it where if it comes down and it hits something it'll just bounce straight back up again so it doesn't squish anyone you know under the door so did that sort of thing happen maybe you know I'm not sure why the garage door was open in the truth could have been open because that's just how they left yeah, exactly. They could have got in a different way and they could have left that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause you know, some people have got the button on their wall in their carport. Yeah. So you yeah. Can see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. To me, the garage door being open is a mystery, but yeah. there's a number of ways in which it could have happened. But that kind of accounts to me how someone could have got into the house because that door was not locked that went into yeah. the house. So that's not a mystery to me, and I, and I find the whole that whole th- argument really, really weird because of that. In the Truth and Justice podcast, Bob questions the prosecutor, Colleen Barnett, and I have to say it's probably the most ridiculous interview ever given by an attorney that I have ever actually heard. I mean, you've actually got to hear it to believe it. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So he wants to know, like, you know, he's doing a really thorough investigation. He wants to know from the prosecutor's mouth, What was it that made you so sure that Sandy was the one that did it? There are some key points that she presents, okay? So first of all, her key key point number one, the neighbourhood and the house were too nice. It was a quiet street, a lot of trees. 
it was soft and quiet. And yes, she actually said soft and quiet. It wasn't on a main road and it just didn't strike her as a house that somebody would pick to rob. Like thoughts on that? <laughs> like what sort of sheltered existence does this woman live in? How do I make my house look like a house that no one wants to rob? <laughs> right? And soft. I want it Just to for my like reference. I know. I mean, it was a nice house. It wasn't a stupid McMansion or anything like that, but it was, you know, they were a couple in their 50s. They didn't have kids at home anymore. They both had good jobs. Like it was a nice house, you know. I don't understand the thinking of it was a quiet street and a nice neighbourhood, so therefore it wasn't a house that should have been picked to be robbed. That is the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard anyone say, don't you think? The soft thing is funny to me. Yeah, I know. It's soft. The street was very soft. So, yeah, I, I, that blows me away. Um, she said that there'd been no other robberies in that neighbourhood um, at that time, which actually ended up being false. There had been a string of robberies in that neighbourhood specifically at that time. I mean, I mean, what? Like this is the person prosecuting someone and, and potentially taking away their entire life, the rest of their life, based on a, ah, oh, nah, I reckon that, nah, I wouldn't rob that house if I was a, a robber. And nah, nah, no other, that's not the sort of neighbourhood that gets robbed without even looking into whether or not there had been robberies there at the time. That's just absolutely blows me away. She also said that a burglar would never go into a house where people were awake um, and where there had been barking dogs. That's not true. No. I mean, this is why it's a home invasion, right? Because that's what a home invasion is what when you are burgled when you're still in the house, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that it's yeah, another thing that's really bizarre. A burglar would never so go. Who is saying this stuff? The prosecutor. Oh, okay. Yeah, Colleen Barnett. So, first of all, people 100% go into houses where people are, are and are awake. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Second of all, the dogs were barking because the people were entering their property. It's not like they walked past a house and went, oh, there's dogs barking at this house. Let's go inside. It was, here's a house we're going to. Also, the sometimes dogs bark for no freaking reason yeah they were like little pomeranians i think so i mean yeah so they would bark at a blade of grass <laughs> yeah, exactly um and there were puppies as well they had puppies like so uh, they're gonna yip and they're gonna yap and they're gonna carry uh, on how and i feel so, about pomeranian puppies <laughs> oh come on they're pretty cute <laughs> they are they are cute but like i just rolled my eyes back so far that well, you could only see the whites of my eyes I roll my, I roll my eyes because I'm like her argument was nobody's going to go into a house where there's dogs They're man I could pick one of them up and kick it like a freaking football <laughs> I know right it's a puppy essentially just a pom-pom with legs as my dad would have called it a sponge to wash your car with <laughs> Or as not a I've fan of little fluffies. As I've heard to him referred as before, a dunny brush dog. <laughs> <laughs> For those non-Australians, a dunny brush is a toilet brush. <laughs> Just a side note. Um, so she she has more to say though, right? So we've got all of this. Then she says that the burglar didn't bring a weapon or a backpack, which makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
I can't. Like, it's so ridiculous. But what is he going to put all of the things that he steals in? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like if you're... But then also, if it's a... But, but if it's a um, burglary, why would he need a weapon? Because no one breaks into houses when pe- that people are in, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's like, if you're a burglar and you're going to rob shit out of a house, is, doesn't it stand to reason that you would rob the carrying item as well? Like yeah. grab a bag or something? And Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah no, so I'm then, only here to steal these items. I cannot also steal a bag to carry said items. It's not on yeah. my to steal list. It's like one of those um, shopping um, game shows where you've got to just like sort of grab as much as you can in your arms and run. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I don't have a trolley. There's no trolley. That's it. Fuck, I didn't bring my stealing hat, uh, my, my stealing handbag. My stealing handbag. <laughs> my, um, my, my grocery basket. Yes. <laughs> so that was one of her arguments as well. But... There was actually a backpack found in the garage with household items and jewellery in it. So someone had stolen stuff, put it in the backpack, which actually belonged to Liz, Sam and, I mean, um, Jim and Sandy's daughter. So they'd obviously grabbed that and they'd used it, but for whatever reason, they decided to leave it behind. So then, of course, Colleen Barnett's like, well, why would they leave it behind? That just shows that it had been staged. So, and then in the next breath, she says nothing was missing from the house, which is completely untrue as well. So, because there was a number of items taken. So, Colleen Barnett's entire case comes down to. I just have to say this for anyone that is watching, listening to this in Australia, in WA in particular, but every time you say Colleen Barnett, all I can think of is our former premier, Colin Barnett. Barnett. <laughs> it was, well, as much of a douche as this one. No, they, they, they're they a pretty good pair by the sounds of them. Oh, but seriously, every time you say Colleen Barnett, I'm like, Colin Barnett. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, her entire case comes down to, well, this couldn't have happened because it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, it sounds like a lot of things. This was like just standard for like prosecutors. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, there's this. Um, I can't remember which episode of South Park it is. I haven't mentioned South Park in a while. Um, I think it's maybe to do with the O.J. Simpson trial, and the whole argument that his lawyer makes is, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And he just keeps saying that over and over again. Yeah, it sounds as though that's exactly what happened in this case. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It's like... Well, they... guess what? A lot of freaking things don't make sense. Exactly. She's like, they robbed this specific house. Doesn't make sense. They left a backpack filled with jewellery. Doesn't make sense. I mean, it's ridiculous and infuriating, right? So that's the prosecution case. What are your thoughts? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Their case doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's literally my thoughts. And then when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, okay, well, there's one thing to have a theory. That, that's cool. You're allowed to do that. But there's got to be evidence, right, and, and motive and all the other things that go along with making a case. Well, motive was just speculation, really. She, it was, you know, Barnett speculated that 
She couldn't divorce him because of their religion. She wanted his life insurance, you know, all of the standard things. But there was never literally any evidence of any of that stuff. Everyone that said, that knew them said that they were a really happy couple and nobody could even sort of back up any of these, not even sort of theories. They're just sort of ideas, I think, you know. Oh, well, you know, they're Jehovah's Witnesses, so... Uh, that they couldn't get divorced, so she had to kill him instead. I mean, it's just mad speculation. So what about evidence, okay? We need evidence if we're going to put someone behind bars. Well, I was keen, you know, to find out what this evidence was, but unfortunately I'm still looking for it because there isn't really any. It's unfortunate, but this case seems to be largely based on a theory put forth with no evidence whatsoever. Now, the official narrative of what happened was that it was a stitch-up involving, involving a sex game. So apparently she tied him up to that chair that was in the bedroom and then when he was tied up and incapacitated, she stabbed him 50 times and beat his brains in. That was the theory of the case that the jury believed and convicted her on. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the look on your face says it all. You need to put that into words. <laughs> <laughs> put that into words right it's it's the most yeah that is a sex game gone very wrong yeah I mean what says it was a sex game what about that was sexy being tied to a chair like yeah I I can't I can't get my head around it and you know somehow she doesn't get a single scratch on her despite him coming out of his bindings and no doubt fighting back um you know as there were signs of a struggle and then she managed to, like, clean all the evidence and blood off herself and go somehow into the closet, somehow get a chair up against the outside of the door, tie herself up, waits about 14 hours to be found. No, you and know? again, I'm going back to this. Doesn't just tie herself up, but ties herself up so tight that they can't undo it when they find her. I mean, theoretically... That's probably the most plausible part of the entire theory is that, okay, if you sort of did the right knots behind your back and then kind of did like a slip knot that got tighter as you sort of moved or something, I can, I can kind of see that. But, but that's pretty much all knots? I can see. The what? Does she know how to tie knots? I don't know. She, she, she always said that she never did it, so it's hard to sort of ascertain, isn't it? Because I feel like knot tying is like a, a certain like skill that you need to have. Yeah, it's like an art. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And if you, you are someone who can tie those sorts of knots, other people you know would know that. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so the prosecu- prosecution argued the prosecution. that prosecution. The prosecution argued that she used a bath mat to slide under the door and then put a chair on it and slide the chair up to the door and tie herself up after that. So don't you think that sounds really plausible? Definitely, yeah. Yep, I can definitely see that happening. Now, I also want to just revisit Sandy's physical state at this point as well. She walked with a cane, for God's sakes, you know, and Jim was a fit, healthy guy. So, okay, let's say that we've done the whole tied him to the chair, sex game gone wrong, he's gotten away from her. He would know pretty that he could pretty easily overpower her. Why would he be going for the gun, you know? Why would he need to go for the gun? 
I don't know. We've talked about a lot of bonkers cases on this podcast. I think that this one has to be up there. You know, I've just got to say. So, yeah, there was no evidence at all against her. And the case consisted entirely of these points. There were no signs of forced entry. The drawers were not tipped out and strewn about and nothing was missing, which wasn't true. So basically there's no evidence of a home invasion, so it had to be her. So that's the case, basically. Jurors deliberated for eight hours and came back with a guilty verdict and she was sentenced to 27 years in prison. So thoughts? This is up there with one of the most absurd cases I think we've covered. I think so too. being actually charged. I know it's, uh, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. I have to agree with Barnett. It doesn't make sense at all. I just can't really understand. I mean, you can probably work out by now that I don't think she did it. <laughs> I mean, and it actually horrifies me that a person can be put away with zero evidence because there really wasn't evidence. It's just terrifying. The idea that that can happen, you know. What the fuck were her defense doing? I know. I know what went wrong there, honestly. There are, um, lot, there are so many reasons why people might not have taken stuff. Like, so say you're going in to rob someone and it doesn't go to plan and you wind up having to kill someone, two mm. people nearly, maybe, well, kill someone and seriously hurt someone else. Mm. Um, you could quite easily be like, well, shit this is not what we were meant to be doing. Let's get the fuck out of here before mm-hmm. it gets any worse than it already is. Yeah. Like that's my thought process. Yeah, me too. And even like leaving the backpack behind because clearly they had tried to rob some stuff, but they yeah. left it behind in the backpack. To me, that could just be a last minute afterthought of, holy shit, we've killed someone. We've got these stolen items. We don't want anything traced back to us. So yeah. let's just leave it all here, you know? Yeah. In that way- would be smarter than your average burglar who would maybe still take the stuff yeah yeah or maybe you know they were escaping and they were trying to lighten up they didn't they thought this bag's too heavy it's going to slow me down we're going to get caught you know there's a a whole number of thoughts that could go be going through their heads at that time yeah I mean yeah I just think I I just have never heard of a case where someone's gone you know been put away with zero physical evidence and only speculation and theories it's it is bizarre I mean yeah I mean the one thing that obviously the jury didn't take into account was there actually was DNA found at the scene there was male and female DNA found on the dresser drawers and the door handles as well that didn't match Jim and Sandy so someone else had been there in that house. I just don't know why. Yeah, like you said, what was the defence doing? How come the defence wasn't presenting all of this stuff? So, yeah, I don't How know. How can you, in good conscious, conscience, convict someone when there is actually DNA evidence that other people were in the house? Exactly. That should have been like a key part of the defence case, you know? Yeah. Now, I, as I do with these cases, because, I mean, I've got, to, I've got to confess from the word go, it always seemed very, very obvious to me that Sandy had nothing to do with this. But I want, like I said, I want to be convinced. So I always troll all of the online sites. You know, I look for something that 
at least made me doubt things, right? So at least someone might present some sort of argument and I go, okay, that makes me think, you know. But all of the people that think Sandy did it are your standard, she didn't cry enough. She looked down in the trial and wouldn't make oh, eye contact with people. God, yeah, and, because she's being accused of a murder that she didn't commit. Yeah, yeah, and, oh, she looks healthy enough to me. She's not disabled enough, you know. It just... Mm. Yeah, things that are just stupid trolls, you know, that actually have no base in reality. So, so yeah, I just, I've got to say, I have from word go not believed Sandy had anything to do with this and I still don't believe she had anything to do with this. So, so what did happen to Jim? That's the question. Um, well, like I said, I think they were probably a victims of a home invasion. I think that probably Jim went to see what the dogs were barking about and surprised them. Uh, they come across him. They take him to the safe. They try to tie him up, you know, probably beat him to try and get the safe code out of him. And then they hear Sandy and they panic. And, you know, while they're distracted, he launches for the gun, but he's stabbed to death in the meantime. And then they've got someone else they've got to deal with. They've got Sandy. They don't know that she's sort of, you know, disabled or doesn't even know that they're there. They just have an extra person at the scene that they've got to deal with now. So, you know, they they find her in the closet maybe all they've got to do is hit her over the head not even that hard because she's got a seizure disorder she has a seizure they tie her up they lock her in so she can't get up to raise the alarm and that's that's you know sort of the crux of what happened and then like we said maybe someone panics because they're le- you know as they're leaving they hadn't intended to kill anyone but you know shit went down and now they've killed someone they think we don't want this stuff being traced back to us let's just leave it behind so we know that there were robberies going on in the soft, quiet neighbourhood, um, Colleen Barnett. We know that those things were happening. So why were you pretending like they weren't? And, and you know what? I'm going to get angry. Shame on you, Colleen Barnett, for putting an innocent woman away just because, you know, oh, it just didn't make sense to you. You know, that makes me really, really angry, really angry. So, yeah, thoughts on what might have actually happened to Jim? I'm with you. Yeah. Like basically what you said that, yeah. I, I mean, it, she could have had a seizure before it even happened. Yeah, maybe they didn't even touch her. Maybe she just, like, the shock of it, she she mm. saw a person in her house and that was enough to set it off, you know? <sighs> yeah, I know. And the other thing too is, you know, how they said that there was the, the women's blouse and the knife found in the jacuzzi. Well, that blouse was not Sandy's size. So... Obviously, that to me, that means that somebody got blood all over them and wanted to take their shirt off and get rid of it. So there was some key evidence that, you know, was lost there as well. Um, but then it became, oh, no, that was just Sandy's shirt. You know, she was just trying to hide evidence. It's, it's just beyond me how this case got as far as it did. I'm going to need some cosmetic surgery because... I think we've already talked about crowdsourcing the Botox. Yeah, because, like, I frown a lot when we do these because people are stupid. People are stupid. Um, And And the people that are stupid should not be lawyers and people who are dealing with people's fates in their hands, you know? Just so much frowning. So much frowning. Well... Luckily for Sandy, she's now got a new lawyer and it is actually Kathleen Zellner, who is the super effective dog with a bone lawyer who actually represents 
uh, Stephen Avery from the Making a Murderer case. Mm-hmm. So I hope that she manages to, you know, get some justice, not just for Sandy but for Jim too because while Sandy's in jail, his actual killer is out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's just get some justice for both of them really. So, yeah, final thoughts on this case? Colleen Barnett's an idiot. Yes, I would have to agree, yeah. And those jurors need to check themselves. I just wonder, like, why? Why did she decide to go after Sandy so hard? Like, there's got to be something underlying there. It's just got to be, you know, uh, why would you choose a woman in her, who's nearly 60 who has a lot of physical disabilities and just decide that's it, I'm putting her away and ignoring so much of the physical evidence. I just don't understand at all. No, I don't either. But if you want to hear a, a much more in-depth ver- um, version of this case, go check out Truth and Justice because, you know, they did an entire season on it and they they do continue to still campaign for Sandy and and try hopefully to help get her out because it sounds like she is not meant to be in there. So, mm. So, yeah, tell us what you think. Come and check us out on socials and, uh, yeah, do you think Sandy? I mean, are we totally wrong? Sandy absolutely 100% belong to, you know, deserve to be in prison. Please come and convince us otherwise, you know, let us know what you think. Totally open to anyone else's opinions. So otherwise we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.